0: 2 Timothy 3, verses 14 through 17. You can find it on page 1,855 of your pew Bibles. 1,855. 2 Timothy 3, verses 14 through 17. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of. Because you know those from whom you learned it. And how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures. Which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is God breathed. And is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. These are the inerrant, authoritative, effective, and inspired words of God. May they be eternally written on the hearts of everyone here today. It is reported that when Michael Phelps was training for the Olympics, he would consume roughly 12,000 calories per day. This is six times the normal amount for a man. Of course, if you've ever seen Michael Phelps, you would know that he doesn't have an ounce of body fat. His training is so intense that he burns through, through calories at an enormous rate. Now imagine if we cut off Mr. Phelps from his food supply. How long do you think he would last training as he does? Maybe a day or two? Eventually he would not have the energy to carry on and he would sink. Man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. We heard these words in our first scripture reading from today. Without the proper food, the man of God will also sink. Staying connected to God's word is vitally important to the health and growth of God's covenant people. It is the milk to the newborn Christian, and it is the meat to those who are spiritually mature. Two weeks ago I, I spoke about the prophet, priest, king, covenant God made with Adam. Adam was supposed to be, was supposed to speak God's word faithfully to, to mankind. and he was to maintain the Garden of Eden, keeping it pure and holy, preventing evil from entering in. And he was to be fruitful and multiply, expanding Eden's boundaries until it covered the whole earth. But as we all know, Adam sinned, failing in his duties. So humanity needed a new representative, one who would be able to to faithfully fulfill the role of prophet, priest, and king. Jesus is that man. Christ kept the whole law He lived that righteous life that sinful men could not. And then he took sin upon himself, paying the penalty of God's wrath upon the cross. And then last week we saw that any person who repents of their sins and trusts in Jesus as their Lord and Savior will enter into a new covenant relationship with God. If you have the right confession that Jesus is a Christ, the Son of God, then Jesus gives to you the keys of the kingdom. Christ gives gives to you the authority of binding and loosing. You are to be a holy people, looking after the purity both in your lives and your doctrine. In this way... You are to be a prophet and a priest. And Jesus also has commanded you to go and make disciples of all nations. This is your kingly duty, expanding the boundaries of God's kingdom to the ends of the earth. So we see in Jesus this perfect covenant man. And in the church... We see God creating a covenant people unto himself. The question is, how does God shape his people? What instrument does he use? As we'll soon find out, God does this task by means of his covenant word. Now before we dig into today's text, let me give you a brief backdrop. Paul was once again imprisoned in Rome, and he knew that his death was near. So he had written this letter to his protege, Timothy. Timothy was a pastor who was facing trials and difficulties from without and within the church. That being the case, Paul warned him that godless men would rise up. These men would have the appearance of godliness, but deep down they did not know God. They would be always learning, but never able to acknowledge the truth. Paul then encouraged Timothy to follow in his footsteps, both doctrinally and in his manner of living. He was to mimic Paul to such an extent that he would be willing to suffer persecution for the name of Christ. In fact, Paul says everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ will be persecuted. While evil men and imposters will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. Which brings us to our passage for today. 2 Timothy 3 verses 14 and 15. But as for you, continue in what you have learned And have become convinced of, because you know those from whom you learned it, and how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Despite all the evil that surrounded him, Timothy was to stand firm in God's word. Notice that word that Paul used, holy scriptures. Holy. This means to be set apart or pure. God's word is perfect and without error. This is what is known as the doctrine of inerrancy. The Holy Bible is called the Holy Bible for a reason, what it says is true and flawless. And to this end, Paul reminded Timothy of his godly heritage. In fact, Timothy was raised in a devout manner from his birth. Turn back a page in your Bible and look at 2 Timothy 1, verse 5. 2 Timothy 1, verse 5. I've been reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I am now persuaded now lives in you. Here we see two influences on Timothy's life his mother and his grandmother. Well, before Paul brought the gospel message to Timothy, Timothy was grounded in God's word thanks to a godly upbringing. Now, I've been at this church for less than a year, yet it has become evident to me that your children are vitally important to you. You want to see them develop a saving faith in Jesus Christ and to live according to his will. Let me tell you a secret This starts at home. As great as it may be, coming to church for an hour and a half each week won't cut it. Think about it. For 40 hours a week, we we send our kids off to get trained in reading and writing and math and science and history and art. And I'm sure there's other subjects out there. And then there are those extracurricular activities that take up so much time. Now now these are valuable things to learn, don't get me wrong. I don't want to undermine the importance of school and sports or whatever other activities your child is involved with. But isn't your child's spiritual life a far greater value? If you only give to it an hour and a half each week, what do you think the outcome will be? If it is God's word that shapes his people, what are you as a parent or as a grandparent doing to instill this truth into the hearts of your children? Is the only biblical input they receive coming to them on Sunday morning? But maybe you're not convinced that God's word is of all that valuable or effective. Yet, what does Paul say to Timothy? The Holy Scriptures are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Here, Paul lays out the primary use of the Bible, which is to develop faith in Christ Jesus. This is the most important instruction that comes to you from God's Word. It is through Scripture that salvation comes. Do you want to see salvation come to your children? Then immerse them in the Word. Let's read a little bit further to see why this is. The beginning of verse 16. All scripture is God-breathed. Scripture finds its source in God. This may seem obvious to you, but there are many out there today who would argue otherwise, even leaders within the church. Many consider this to be a man-made book. And there is a reason That they want to view it that that way. Think about it. If God's word really is if God really is the author of these words, then it becomes authoritative. And if the Bible is authoritative, then it compels and constrains a man to certain beliefs and actions. In other words, it crushes people's idols. So much of what we see in our society today is in rebellion to what is taught in God's word. Whether it is the LGBT revolution or the carefree attitude that people have towards divorce or the culture of death that permeates our society. All these things go against God's word. Yet to the bewilderment, of those who understand scriptural authority, these things are being applauded within many churches today. How can this be, you may ask? It is very simple. People no longer view scripture as God-breathed. For them, it is not authoritative. You see, people, they want that connection to Christ. They want to be identified as a Christian, Or as a Christ follower, yet only if Jesus conforms to their will. They don't want to be a covenant people. For covenant people conform to the will of their creator. So instead, they reverse the order. They they become the creator, shaping the God that they desire. And they call him Jesus. Jesus. And if God's word says otherwise, well, that's just a man-made book, isn't it? The inspiration of scripture is of vital importance. For it determines who has authority in a person's life. It is either God or man. Yet in this teaching of inspiration, we also see how God shapes his people. And it is not an easy process. Listen to what Hebrews 4, verses 12 and 13 has to say about how the Bible shapes a Christian. Hebrews 4, verses 12 and 13. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates Even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow, it judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. This is why people deny the inspiration of Scripture. For they know that if these words really do come from a holy God, then conforming to them will be painful. And if they do not conform, then judgment has come upon them. How do you view Scripture? Is it authoritative? Yet God's word is not only authoritative, it is effective as well. Turn back to our passage in 2 Timothy chapter 3, and let's read all of verse 16 this time. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. Here we see four more uses of God's word beyond producing saving faith in a person. The first of these is teaching. Now, teaching naturally comes before the rest because it is, it is the umbrella of the other three. In other words, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness are all forms of teaching. Teaching refers to correct doctrine. Doctrine instructs God's Covenant people, not only in what they are to believe, but also in how they are to act. So rebuking comes next. For when a person goes astray, either in what they believe or how they are behaving, then a rebuke is necessary. A a rebuke is meant to bring to the forefront error. The hope is to produce godly sorrow within a person, who has been willingly defying God's will. In essence, a rebuke places a mirror in front of a person's face, making evident the flaws in a person's life. Of course, showing a person their error is not enough. There must be correction as well. Correction is restoring a person to the truth of God's word, whether it is pointing a person to a correct belief or instructing a person to correct behavior. And finally, God's Word effectively trains a person in righteousness. This is positive instruction. Here there isn't necessarily a disobedient spirit that needs changing. Rather, when a person doesn't know God's will, when they are ignorant, then training in righteousness is needed. It is similar to how a parent should interact with their children when they don't know any better. A parent needs to teach them what is right and what is wrong. And so we see that God's Word is able to make a person wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus, and it is useful in teaching sound doctrine which can be applied by rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. Is this not the same thing we saw last week when we spoke of the keys of the kingdom? God's word trains God's covenant people in their duties as prophet, priest, and king. In other words, scripture is effective. It does what it says it does. This is known, known as the doctrine of efficacy. Isaiah lays this out plainly for us. Isaiah 55, verses 10 and 11. As the rain and the snow come down from heaven, and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater, So is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. God's word accomplishes God's will. This leads us to our final verse, verse 17. So that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Everything you need to live out your role as a covenant person for God is right here in God's Word. It is capable of training you for every good work. This is what is known as a sufficiency of Scripture. In other words, God's word is the only instruction needed for his covenant people to fulfill his will. You don't need any vision, nor dream, nor do you need an audible voice from heaven that will direct your steps. Everything you need for faith and a life of godliness comes to you in the Bible. Scripture molds you into that role of prophet, priest, and king. Because it also acts as a prophet, priest, and king. It is a prophet in that it instructs you in the truth concerning what to believe and how to live. And it is a priest in that it keeps you holy by correcting and rebuking you when you go astray. And it is a king, and the fact that it is the power of God unto salvation, expanding the kingdom of heaven when it is faithfully proclaimed. Scripture can only do these things because it because it is the word of the true covenant man. This is that other aspect of Scripture being God-breathed. Christ. And Christ, he imparts his covenant roles to his covenant people through his covenant word. Yet Jesus also tells us that everything in his word ultimately points to him. John 5 verse 39 says this, You diligently search the scriptures because you think that by them you possess eternal life. These are the scriptures that testify about me. A covenant man who died on the cross for the forgiveness of sins for a covenant people. A covenant people falling underneath the authority and instruction of a covenant word. A covenant word testifying about a covenant man let us pray father we thank you for your covenant word it truly does instruct us in both saving faith and godly living we thank you for sending for sending us that covenant man your son jesus who took our place upon the cross paying the penalty for our sins And we thank you for your Holy Spirit who guides us into all truth as we seek you in your word. Form us into that covenant people who will glorify your name. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.